Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Corners. It's Johnny and Logan. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about some new rules for 2023. Uh, Major League Baseball has implemented three new rules for next season. So we're going to break it all down. We got shift restrictions, we got bigger bases, and we got a pitch timer coming to Major League Baseball in a park near you next year. So uh, yeah, let's break it all down. Alrighty, so let's start with how this even came to fruition. It started all way back during the lovely lockout that we just had to go through no less than seven months or so ago. Because of that, it allowed Major League Baseball to form a committee that essentially looked into a lot of the rules that both Major League Baseball and the Players Union were not able to decide upon while they were doing the CBA discussions. So they decided that instead of prolonging this lockout any longer, we are going to implement committees to then look into these rules and see what we can do for the betterment of the game. So that is kind of how this all got started. Um, and now we're looking at three new rule changes that will be coming into place next year. Yeah, so the committee, I mean, it is a committee, but it's basically just controlled by Major League Baseball because uh, the owners have six spots on the committee. There's six owners and there's four players and one umpire. So if the commissioner's office really wants to get something pushed through, they basically can unilaterally. And we saw that with two of the rules uh, this time around, the shift restriction and the pitch clock. Players voted unanimously against, uh, but they still went through because all six owners voted in favor. Yeah, and, and that brings up a an interesting power dynamic because the owners, in some sense, should have ultimate power because they are the ones putting forth the money and and the product on the field is only there because they're willing to fork over the millions to do so at the same time the players are the reason that there is a product on the field in the first place so i understand both sides there wasn't really much hoopla in the news about the players not getting a decision on this and being outvoted i think it's quite honestly i think the reason is a lot of people kind of like these rules from the fans' perspective, and we'll get more into that. But, you know, if the fans hated it, then, you know, you would see them side with the players, I'm sure. But they didn't really seem to hate it. Yeah, and also, it just kind of seemed like a foregone conclusion. Um, people even thought at the end of the lockout that these rules were already coming in. It, it was kind of unclear that there was even going to be a committee to decide on these because it seemed so, like, as I said, such a foregone conclusion, especially with the shift ban. Um, and the bigger bases, I mean, nobody really cares if the bases are three inches bigger. Uh, the pitch clock is the only one that's really, um, kind of gotten, you know, more discussed more about recently, I'd say. Yeah, that one's definitely ruffled a lot of people's feathers, mostly pitchers and people who, you know, identify as a pitcher in their other life. And I think the thing about that one, and we'll break this down because we're both pitchers and. And I know me personally, we had a pitch clock in college, so I have fairly good understanding of how that affected and didn't affect a lot of things. It'll be interesting to see if it really does have an impact. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, let's start with the shift. So as you certainly know, if you're listening to this podcast, over the last 10 years or so, Defensive shifts have become a lot more prominent. Uh, the first one ever was allegedly um, on Ted Williams because one of the opposing managers facing Ted Williams noticed that he hit a lot of balls to, uh, I think it was the right side, and so he put its three infielders over there, and Williams promptly went four for four in that game, and so the shift died for another 50 years. But it came back um, with the advent of StatCast and Analytics and um, all this data that front offices have. And, of course, the natural thing to do when you see that a guy hits 75% of his ground balls to the right side is to put three of your infielders over there. Um, and, unfortunately, this has had 
a lot of, some would say negative impacts on the game, but it certainly had an impact, uh, mainly that a lot of ground balls that previously would have been hits aren't anymore. Uh, mostly ground balls up the middle and ground balls between where the second baseman usually stands and where the first baseman usually stands. And so after, you know, several years of talking about this and kind of debating what they should do, MLB has implemented a rule. I'm not going to say the rule because there's certainly a chance that it can change in the future, but um, they've implemented two restrictions on the shift. First, that all four infielders, first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, must stand on the infield dirt at the time the pitch is thrown. And secondly, that two of them must be on each side. The first baseman and the second baseman must be on the right side of second base, and the third baseman and the shortstop must be on the left side of second base uh, before the pitch is thrown. So yeah, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction, but it's not necessarily going to eliminate shifting and, in my opinion, have a massive impact as one might anticipate. We will not be seeing the shift in which a second baseman is playing in shallow right field and the shortstop is basically playing a up-the-middle second base position. That's gone. Can't see that anymore because more so than anything, you just can't have a guy in the outfield grass. I think that's the bigger implication on that one. Um, but is it really going to affect you know a significant amount of hitters to the point where we're going to say, wow, look at this spike in batting average because of this? I don't foresee that because you just have to play the right side of second base to the shortstop. So you can play an inch to the right of second and the second baseman can still play in a shifted position. I don't necessarily know how much that impacts it. Um, and I guess, honestly, like you look at the right-handed hitting shift, you know, I don't know because you know, with the right-handed hitter, that's pull heavy on the infield. You don't really have anyone playing it super deep but you just have three guys playing on the left side of second base but the second baseman is essentially up the middle i mean he's not playing shortstop he's playing you know maximum five six feet to the right of second so like maybe a couple other hits are going to squeeze through but is that really going to have an impact yeah i mean it'll be a bit but yeah as you said not not really enough to move the needle in my opinion the biggest thing is the single up the middle. That's like the the old faithful, you know, it was a hit every time for 100 years. And now, like, literally when I'm watching on TV and a guy hits a ball up the middle, I'm like, oh, that's probably into the shift. I'm not even excited anymore. <laughs> um, no, yeah. And that's not going to change because you can still play essentially right behind second base. The only thing that's going to change, as you said, is, is the rover, the second baseman in right field. Although there have already been whispers of teams saying, well, if I can't put my second baseman in right field, maybe I'll put my left fielder in short right field and just play two real outfielders, play your right fielder in, in right center and your center fielder in left center and still have that rover. Whether that will actually you know, take hold and be uh, an effective strategy remains to be seen, but if it is, I could certainly see MLB <laughs> making some more rules to to stop that yeah you know i see so many flaws potentially with that let's look at a lot of times when you're shifting with a, a left-handed hitter and you put a guy into that rover position before the shift is banned right i i don't have numbers for you but it feels like nine times out of ten the outfield is shifted in the other direction because just because you're a pull hitter on the ground does not mean that you're a pull hitter completely absolutely so does that subject you to maybe, I don't know, five, ten guys in the entire league who that applies to where they only pull the ball? But nowadays, with launch angle and everything and, and people trying to drive the ball, those type of players, usually when they get the ball in the air, it's you know home run or it's driven in a gap. So you're not going to play gap to gap because then you leave down the line and center field exposed. And if you play a rover in right field and, and just ditch a left fielder, you can't, and this is just my opinion, I understand playing the numbers, but you can't give a free triple to a ball hit to left field. I just I just have so many issues with that, and 
I like I get it, but maybe then just pitch better. I don't know. Like I just don't <laughs> like that thought. Yeah, no, I I, I doubt that it's actually gonna be a, a real prominent thing. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised if we don't see it at some point, at least once. Rays, I'm looking at you. No, oh, it'll be the Rays. Yeah, yeah, it will be the Rays. Yeah. And there's other things too, even like, okay, well, if your shortstop can't start on the second base, on the on the right side of second base, well, then just have him run, and then right as the pitch is thrown, he crosses over second base, and then he can still get into a shifted position. I mean, well, that, that just sounds silly, but, you know, front well, offices, yeah. they will look into every single possibility because that's their job is to win as many games as possible. Yeah, and I guarantee you there's things that have not been even brought up publicly that are going to happen, and we're going to be like, oh. You know, there's, there's been so many rule changes throughout sports history to where there's an intended outcome and circumstance, and, and there's reasons why they do it, and people are thinking about this, this, and this, and you look back in history, and you're like, wow. Like, look at the loophole that they found. Every They're looking for so many loopholes right now, and they're going to find one if there is one because these are the smartest people in the world when it comes to finding loopholes in baseball. So if there is one, Absolutely. like I said, they're going to find one. Absolutely. And yeah, we have been ragging on this a little bit, but the one thing that I really do like about this shift rule is it rewards line drives because that's the one thing that this rule will definitely help with. There's not going to be that 108 mile an hour line drive to right field that's just caught by the second baseman standing 100 feet out into the outfield grass. Um, and I really like that because that's what you teach baseball players from like day one is to hit line drives and it's the purest swing. And so rewarding that is good, definitely. Yeah. And like you said, I never had an issue with the shift in the sense that when the guy had a rollover to the right side, like, and it were to sneak through. I'm not like, dang, I really missed that. Like, those guys should be rewarded right. for that. But no, like you say, you hit a line drive and you take a pitch where it was pitched in the inner half, you should be rewarded. And, you know, it's not always going to happen. You're going to hit it to a guy, but not because you have two right fielders, you know. And so I think that, like you said, that's probably the biggest impact. I don't really see an impact in terms of ground balls massively. You might see an uptick no. a little bit, but really it's yeah. not going to be enough to be like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, there's people that are, a lot more invested than us who are already crunching the numbers. And um, Jason Stark of The Athletic posted a nice piece on the impact of all the rules, actually, but the shift as well. And I think he concluded that it was only going to be about a couple points of batting average, if that. Yeah, that's very, very true. Let's move on to the next rule, uh, bigger bases. So this is, uh, we really don't need to talk too much about this. The bases have always, or at least in our recent memory been 15 inches square and now they're going to be 18 inches square major league baseball claims that this will have a positive impact on player health uh, because there's a lot of injuries that happen on the bases or you know when when two players are near a base at the same time you know pitcher covering first base on a ground ball to the first baseman um, stolen bases obviously into second or third base double plays you know there's lots of action around the bases and the thought is that having bases that are a little bigger uh there's more room for everybody on the base and uh not too many people get stepped on yeah i think this is a good decision i don't think it's a massive game altering decision like you said but it's a good decision i think it's going to lead, lead to a little bit more health overall and you know what does it happen once every three games maybe two and a half games where there's a play that's so close that an extra three inches would have mattered you know right yeah it's gonna i mean it's not like it's gonna not affect the game it will in a sense but it's so minuscule and probably for the positive that i think it's it was a good decision yeah i mean it's one of those things that nobody would notice if you didn't tell them so it you can't really be that upset about it it's just nobody you know there's, there are uh, pretty indelible numbers in baseball. There's 90 feet, you know, there's 60 feet, 6 inches. But 15 inches is not a, uh, a sacred number <laughs> in baseball. No. Um, so I, I don't think there should really be any hoopla about this. 
it was tested in the minor leagues the last couple of years, I think, at least this year. Uh, but I think last year as well. Uh, and I think MLB was hoping for an uptick in stolen bases. Uh, but really, the uh, the distance between first and second and between second and third only decreases by four and a half inches. Um, it's actually a little funny the way that second base is positioned. A lot of people don't know this. It's not perfectly aligned with first and third. It's kind of a little offset. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, the distance only increases by four and a half, or decreases, excuse me, by four and a half inches. Um, and while you do see plays that are decided by less than that amount, uh, as you said, it's not, it's not too often. So, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit more aggressiveness. Um, but I think actually the real rule that will spark more base running is the next one, the pitch clock. All right, so let's get into that. This is probably the biggest and most complicated rule. Uh, the other two have been pretty simple, even the shift rule. It's You can really, you know, see where that's coming from. The pitch timer, it's been a long time coming. Um, you might remember in the 2020 spring training, I believe, before it got canceled, um, there was a pitch timer implemented, but it was not enforced. Um, there has been pitch timer rules in the minor leagues for years now, but they haven't been enforced. And there's even pitch clocks in the majors, in the major league stadiums, um, but there's no rule about it. They're just there to kind of, I don't know, look stupid. Um, and the reason that it's been so hard to enforce these pitch timers is because, well, okay, imagine you're a pitcher. You get the ball, you're looking in for the sign, you shake off, shake off, get your pitch, come set, you look up, oh crap, there's only two seconds left. Well, what do you do? Are you going to rush and throw the ball? No, you're just going to step off. And you step off, you reset the clock, you know, you take your time, and you go back. But obviously, this doesn't help anything. Uh, it probably slows down the game, actually, because instead of just taking an extra second uh, to get ready, they step off, you know, to redo the whole process. Um, and so a lot of gnashing of teeth happened over this, I believe, in the front offices of Major League Baseball, because the appeal of a pitch clock is obvious. You know, what is the one thing that non-baseball fans complain about baseball? Oh, it's too long and boring. Well, that's exactly what a pitch clock is designed to to eliminate, to, to weaken that argument um, by shortening games. And so what they decided on, what MLB decided on, and this rule was also tested in the minor leagues, is A, yes, you have a pitch clock, but B, you have a limit on the number of times you can step off. So when there's nobody on base, you have 15 seconds after you receive the ball. So after you receive the ball from the catcher, you have 15 seconds to start your delivery or else it's a ball. And you can step off, I believe, twice per at-bat with nobody on. And if you step off a third time, it's a ball. With a runner on base or runners on base, it's a little different. You have 20 seconds after you receive the ball to throw. And you can still step off twice. You can pick off twice. But if you step off a third time, you have a chance to get the runner out. But if you don't, then it's a balk and all the runners advance. Games in the minor leagues decreased by an average of 26 minutes with this rule in place, which is huge, like amazingly huge. That would take games back to like mid-80s lengths. You know, we're so accustomed to games going over three hours now that we don't really even kind of feel like a two and a half hour game is possible. It just doesn't even seem like something that could happen, but that will become the norm next year, which I, for one think is absolutely awesome. Yeah, no, as do I. And, and like you said, you know, when a, when a game was, you know, under three hours, every time I heard the announcer mention it and, and with some right. angst oh, and shock, right? yeah, like and now, like you said, it should be happening. And I don't know how often it'll happen, but it should happen multiple times a day at least, right? Every single day, I would imagine. 
Oh yeah. The thing, the thing with this rule that I also really like is it's not just going to increase, or sorry, excuse me, it's not just going to decrease game times. The action on the field should increase because right. not only are we looking at a, a situation where the ball is being thrown to a guy swinging a bat more often, now with runners on base, this should elicit more action because you know mm-hmm. the pitcher only can pick off X amount of times. And if he handicaps him himself, he's going to either put himself in a situation where he risks balking or he's got a pitch and knowing that if you're you know someone who can steal a base, you're gone. It's also yeah. very interesting from the base runner's perspective, though, because the guy picks off twice. Do you risk going first move? Or are you going to be a little hesitant because you're like, well, he might just full send and pick off. Like, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see, I think, because there's so much that can go into this. Um, I hope that this also starts eliciting more people to slide step. I know so many pitchers nowadays don't like doing that. They want to execute their pitch. They'd rather let a guy steal. But if stealing becomes more prominent, like it's going to become, you know, they might have to. Because right now, they don't really have to. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I I am totally looking forward to the base running shenanigans that are go on that are going to go on. Um we're definitely going to set a major league walk record <laughs> or balk record, I should say, in the first yeah. year. Um because you know guys are going to struggle to adjust to this for the first month or so. But, you know, they're major leaguers. They'll they've adjusted to rules before. Um and uh, I'm looking here for the um, – here it is, yeah. Stolen base attempts per game. In the majors this year, there are there have been on average 1.36 stolen base attempts per game. So less than one per team per game, which is sad if you think about it. I mean, especially compared to – decades past where stolen bases were a much more prominent part of the game. Um, and MLB knew from their fan surveys and focus groups that that was something that fans wanted was more stolen bases and stolen bases an exciting play. Um, so with this rule implemented in the minors, there were 2.83 stolen base attempts per game, more than double what the major leagues has seen this year. So that's, amazing obviously that would be awesome if that came to mlb i would temper that a little bit by saying just it's in general teams are more aggressive in the minor leagues because the stakes aren't as high you know if you get thrown out on the bases it's not obviously that big of a deal well and i'll I'll cut you off also in in the minors um it's a permanent green light unless you're in an important playoff game guys who have a just have green lights there aren't really too many steel signs so guys are wanting to get to the majors and show off their speed. They are going to steal a ton. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just good things here. 34 steals is not going to lead the league again. Um, John Birdie right now, under the Marlins, leads the league with 34 stolen bases. Um, that's just, that's pitiful. I mean, come on. In the minor think? leagues, 79 players have stolen 34 or more bases this year. Yeah. And that brings the brings up a question about, you know, can Terrence score finally get a multi-year contract extension with a team? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's never been more valuable and players like him. Um, yeah, I mean, are we going to see another 70 stolen base guy? 50 at least. I, I'm sh- I would be shocked if we didn't see 50. But um, hasn't been there hasn't been a 70 stolen base guy in 14 years. Um, so I, I think that's in reach. I think it's reachable. I don't think it's going to happen in the next year. But I do think it's reachable. I also think that I think we're also going to see an uptick in guys thrown out. Not percentage-wise, but numbers wise it's obviously because of the amount of stolen bases but i also envision a lot more pitch outs and mm. i feel like that's going to lead to more guys maybe i should have rephrased what i said i think we're going to see more guys thrown out via pitch out than we've ever seen at least in your my lifetime in the 20 years we've been here 
but pitch out is pretty much gone by the wayside oh too. Yeah. That happens what like five a times a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like it's just a cool play, you know. It's I love that that little chess match between the opposing managers of you know when to pitch out, when to steal, and it's just going to increase offense in general because pitchers are going to be worried about guys going hitters are going to get better pitches to hit um it's yeah i mean there's certainly going to be an adjustment period but long term i really i really just like this rule and all that it implies yeah and like you said long term it's a long term play um and long term is relative like long term probably you know half a season i don't think it's going to be long term where it's like you know, it's going to take five years for these guys to figure out how to, you know. But no, what yeah. I will, what I will be interested to see, and maybe if you have a prediction on this too, who's going to be the first pitcher to get his butt hurt because it hurts their team in you know the first week of the season and call out MLB? Madison Bumgarner. I, I, you know it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, the thing is, it's like in Bumgarner's defense, he's definitely chilled out now that he sucks. Um, so. <laughs> You know, it's going to be someone good. Probably like, I don't know, Tyler Glass now. Oh, you know Scherzer's going to go oh. on some umpire. Yeah. yeah, he's going to take it on the umpire, so it had nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> but I would just kind of like to give a little bit of a personal perspective with this pitch clock thing, because like I said, we had that implemented my entire college season. And, um, you know, I pitched 100 innings and, not once did I have a pitch clock violation or even a warning. So in college, they gave you a warning and then pitch clock violation. I can tell you this. I saw it called as a warning maybe 12 times in the, I don't know, however many games we ended up playing. I think it was over 50, 55, 60. I saw it probably called 12 to 15 times. And not one time did I see the warning actually progress into an actual um, call, but in Major League Baseball, obviously, there's no warning. So if you were to take those 12 times that I saw at the college level as as warnings, as an actual call, and that would have been a balk um, or a ball or whatever it may be, I just don't really see how it is going to be that much of an adjustment because I can tell you this, like, in college, it's no different than baseball. You get your signs, you get your ball, and, and you, you pitch, but you're shaking off. And I can tell you from personal perspective – as long as you catch the ball, you get on the rubber, you have time to mess with the rubber a little bit, mess with the dirt around it, get your shine, you can shake two or three times, and as long as you come set and are ready to pitch you know, within reason, I don't know why it would take too, too long. And especially with nobody on base, like I would be shocked if anyone got called with someone on base, because or with nobody on base, because you still are allowed to step off. So if it's really taking you and the catcher that long to figure out a call, step off and redo it because it shouldn't take that long and with the runner on base that's usually when that what that one got called um and during our season and again like it's mostly in situations that were high stress and guys were thinking about too much and not able to control their you know thoughts and whatnot and so the umpire gave them a warning and that is probably when it would happen most likely in the majors now, the thing about that is Major League Baseball, I believe, did come out and say that they're not trying to implement this rule super strictly in situations where it would affect the outcome of the game. Am I correct on that? Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, I'm sure one of the first things you imagined, it's what I imagined too, when I heard this rule was, all right, bases loaded, Aaron Judge at the plate, you know, bottom of the ninth, 3-2. Oh, you know, pitcher steps off, it's a balk, that's the game. Right. <laughs> that that can't happen, obviously. And, and MLB knows that. So they've said, um, they've been very upfront. They don't want this rule to be used in that way. They don't want it deciding key moments. Uh, they don't want it deciding a game. So, yeah, it, it's important that they make sure the umpires understand the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. If a guy is, you know, one second late, just let him go. It's just going to delay the game more if you're if you're um, punishing every single minor infraction. 
So I'll talk directly to you, Angel Hernandez. Please, please do not affect the outcome of a game. I know you want to. I know you're going to have a tough time doing this, but please just let the game be and not affect the outcome like you already do enough. So, um, yeah, just a few other things. We haven't really talked about what happens if you don't pitch before the clock runs out. Uh, we've talked about what happens if you step off too many times, but um, if you just hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, and you haven't started your delivery by the time the clock runs out, um, a ball is charged. So the count goes from 2-1 to 3-1 or something. Um, and also, from the hitter's perspective, you can't just be lollygagging either. You have to be in the batter's box and, uh, according to the MLB press release, alert to the pitcher is the phrase they used. In the batter's box and alert to the pitcher with at least eight seconds remaining on the clock. Um, and if you're not in position, then you receive a strike. Um, so pretty simple. And uh, a hitter does receive one timeout per plate appearance, so you can still step out of the box once. Um, and the umpires have discretion to provide additional time um, if that's warranted. I mean, if a catcher makes the last out of the inning and he needs additional time to get into position or, or if the batter fouls the ball off his shin or something like that, uh, you know, there's going to be exceptions for this, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's the whole thing about Quite honestly, a lot of rules going forward is I hope that we can have an understanding, and by we I mean the Umpire Association, have an understanding that, yes, the rules are there for a reason, and they have intended positive outcomes, ideally, but you have to be flexible and you have to understand game situation and and game flow to make sure that they work without hitch, because... A lot of times when rule changes go into place, I feel like the biggest negative and the biggest pushback usually happens when an umpire tries to be too too much by the rule book, and it's just completely unnecessary. And I'll kind of go to um, football here for a second. You know, there's there's always the the argument out there that if a if a penalty is called on a holding that is nowhere near the play and has no effect on the play, should that still be a penalty? It's very similar. It's like, you know, if if this call that you want to make for a delay of game or whatever they want to title it, delay of game in baseball with holding the ball, if it really is going to affect the outcome of the game and it's, you know, one, two, three seconds, they have to understand they can't call that. You know, they have right. to. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, another thing that I was kind of hoping would happen, it wasn't explicitly stated in the uh, press release, but I think a lot of people in in the uh, MLB uh, Rules Committee or just in the MLB front offices in general were kind of hoping for was, you know, if you're – a Roldis Chapman, Jordan Hicks, you know, Ryan Helsley, you know, some flame throwing reliever, and you're throwing a pitch at one oh three, you've gotta like take some breaths. You know, you gotta you gotta reset and uh, catch your breath after doing that before you can throw again that hard. And people were hoping, I think, that this pitch clock rule would kind of trim down velocity from relievers, especially from those absolute max effort relievers, which more and more relievers are becoming these days. Um, but in the minor leagues, there was actually zero change. The average fastball velocity in 2021 was 92.3 miles an hour, and it was right on the nose 92.3 again this year with the new rule. So I don't know. We might see a small decrease in velocity, uh, guys obviously throw harder in the big leagues than in the minors, but um, not a huge thing there. I just wanted to mention it because it could have been a uh, consequence of this rule, and it might still be. And it also is something that te- that uh, the front office of Major League Baseball uh, wants to kind of rein in a little bit because as guys throw harder and harder and harder, it just becomes more and more difficult to hit. And MLB doesn't make their money with strikeouts. They make their money with offense, with home runs, with doubles, triples, etc. So they will try to find ways 
to decrease velocity, whether that is limiting the amount of pitchers you have on your roster, which they've already started to do, so you can't carry huge bullpens, um, or making some sort of rules that uh, incentivize you to keep your starting pitcher in longer. Um, I think there's there's going to be something on the horizon in the future um, that's aimed at, at decreasing velocity or decreasing pitcher effectiveness in relation to what it's grown to over the past few years. Yeah, so you definitely bring up an interesting idea in terms of how we're going to combat strikeouts because I still feel like after all these rule changes, you know, with pace of play, which has arguably been the biggest one, um, and with the stolen bases going on, it's another big one. You know, that's probably in the, those are probably in the top three of what we've been discussing the most these last five years. Arguably the biggest one has been, like you said, the strikeout issue. And, you know, you mentioned a couple ideas, and I think all those will have impacts if they were to get implemented, whether it's limiting this or ensuring starting pitchers do that. But in my opinion, we're getting to the point where guys are throwing harder and harder. You look at a college roster, and the entire team is sitting in the low to up 90s. Pretty soon we're going to have that be a norm in high school. I think we're going to have guys throwing harder and harder. Um, and it's not just my personal opinion. I know a lot of guys that are heavily involved in the game of baseball and pitcher development also believe we're going to have that because not only are guys starting to throw in the throwing programs earlier, sooner, they're physically different nowadays. You also have better arm care routines and you know better ways to keep your body healthy and allowing it to be limber and you know elastic to be able to do these sort of consistent you know 100 105 pretty soon we're probably going to see people flirting with 110 and by pretty soon I mean next 20 25 years in my opinion the only way to combat that is by either changing the mound height which I don't really like I think they're going to move the mound back I just see that as an inevitable thing if strike because strikeouts just become too ridiculous they are yeah, I mean, the strikeout rate has increased. Uh, it's actually kind of stayed pretty stagnant the last couple of years. There's lots been lots of uh, commotion with the pandemic and everything, but it had increased for, gosh, like 15 straight years um, going into the pandemic season. So, you know, that's definitely something that's very high on MLB's list of things they don't like about the game of baseball. And, I mean, you can't blame them. It's one of the least exciting plays in baseball to an average fan, um, unless you're following Pinching Ninja. <laughs> um, but, yeah, moving the mound back would be the most direct way to combat that. And there's been experiments with it. Um, I believe the uh, Independent Atlantic League um, or yeah, I think the Atlantic League tested that out last year, twenty twenty one. Mixed reviews. Um, pitchers obviously didn't like it because they don't want to just be disadvantaged like that. Um, but yeah, I kind of am leaning towards that being an inevitability as well. I don't know if I agree that guys are going to be flirting with 110. I think there is a limit to what the human body is capable of, but I think we're going to see more consistent 104s, um, even from starting pitchers. You know, DeGrom is the first guy, really, to carry 100-mile-an-hour heat through five innings or so, and you're seeing guys like Sandy Alcantara do that as well now. Hunter Green is basically Hunter sitting Green, 100. Yes. <laughs> Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'll take probably three or four years before a starting pitcher averages 100 miles an hour on his fastball for the season. DeGrom was at 99.2 like or something last year, I think. Um, and he's in his mid-30s. So once you get a guy that's in their mid-20s that has that kind of mechanics, um, you're, you're definitely going to see... Uh, averaging triple digits and that's just not like hitters can't hit that the reaction time is is simply too low um 
And obviously when I say you can't hit that, of course, guys hit 105 mile an hour pitches anyway, but you can't hit without guessing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because when the guy has a hundred mile an hour fastball, he's also got a 93 mile an hour cutter and a 91 mile an hour changeup and an 85 mile an hour curveball. And you, you can't be on all of those pitches at the same time. Um, so yeah, I mean, moving the mound back is a natural deterrent to that. That would have tons of pushback, I'm sure. Um, because as I said, 60 feet, six inches, that's more of a, an established number in the game of baseball. It's been that way for as long as anyone can remember. Um, for as long as major league baseball has been an organization, but I don't know. I don't see too many downsides to it. I mean, people were saying, oh, well, when this when this idea was first brought up, people were saying, oh, you just throw change-ups every time and sinkers every time because he's got more time to, to drop. But, you know, there will always be adjustments in the game of baseball. And if players have outgrown the field, the dimensions, then it's time to change the dimensions. It's as simple as that. Yeah, 100%. That's perfectly said, actually. That was very perfectly said. Um, and so then speaking about changing dimensions for players, I think it's also important to mention that we need to change the dimensions of umpiring and something that I feel like is probably the next significant rule change that will come into play is going to be the automated strike zones. Obviously yes. there's pushback from the MLB umpires association and that is it. There's not a single person on planet earth besides, you know, someone that's 75 years old or above that likes umpires dictating games anymore. Um, I know I had a lot of pushback on it originally because I like the human aspect of the game, just like I had pushback on the challenge rule because I like the human aspect of the game. I wanted them to you know, throw out managers and see temper tantrums. But the second that it gets implemented, you're like, well, why would we not do this? And I feel like that's very similar to once this gets implemented. I don't know how you feel about it, Johnny, but I know for me, I know I'm going to be a little bit weary of it, but I know for a fact the second that I start to see how nice it is to have it, I'm not going to want to go back. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just... The arguments against it are are pretty weak, in my opinion. You know, people will say, A, like that they like the human aspect of the game. But, okay, the umpires are still going to be there. It's not literally a robot that's standing behind home plate. The umpires do plenty of other things besides paying attention to the strike zone. And, I might add, now that they don't have to pay attention to the strike zone. They should be a lot better at other things like calling foul tips or, you know, whether a pitch bounced before the catcher caught it, hit by pitches, um, all of those calls. Check swings should definitely be improved. Um, so that's a huge bonus. And people will say, oh, well, I don't know how accurate the technology is. I don't trust the technology. Uh, I mean, first of all, the technology has improved so much over even when this idea was first proposed several years ago. But secondly, there's no way you're going to do worse than umpires. There's no way. Like humans, another thing with this increasing velocity, humans just have a limit to what they can perceive and 100 mile an hour fastballs and sliders with 18 inches of horizontal movement. It's really testing the boundaries of human eyesight especially for old guys. Um, if you look at like umpire scorecard and, and even MLB's public data releases of, of their um, evaluations of umpires, the youngest ones are the best. That's really a pretty clear correlation just because they have better eyesight. It's a quality that teams look for in players and um, it's a quality that umpires obviously have to have as well. But yeah, that is, that argument definitely doesn't hold weight, in my opinion. Um, the one argument that I agree actually does hold a little bit of sway would be, you know, the curveball that bounces in the dirt but barely caught the bottom of the strike zone, you know, that never gets called a strike nowadays but would get called with the robo-ump. I could see that being a bit of an issue. Um because while it's technically a strike, you know, crossing the front plane of the plate right at the batter's knees, um, it's just never been called a strike before in human history, in baseball history. And so 
I think there's a way around that, though. You just have to redefine the strike zone a little bit. There's actually there's two ways around that. A, you redefine the strike zone a little bit. You make it... CeCe Sabathia was talking about this, actually. You make it a little bit more like an oval rather than sharp corners um, because, you know, nicking that down and away corner perfectly, it's just not fair with a, like, especially with an off-speed pitch or with a, with a you know, change-up breaking ball. Um, so making the corners a little more rounded, I think, would uh, would probably help with that. But the other way around that is you have a challenge system. Um, they've implemented this in the minor leagues in AAA. Uh, you can tune in to MILB.com whenever they have their live game streams. Um, and I think only some of the ballparks have the technology implemented right now. But there is a challenge system. So if a pitch is thrown and let's say the umpire calls a strike um, and the batter can turn around to the umpire and say, I want to challenge that. And immediately it comes up on the scoreboard. They show a graphic of where the pitch was and it either gets overturned or doesn't get overturned. Just like in tennis, a perfect, a perfect analogy there with tennis. And what I really like about that rule is that the challenge can only come from three people, batter, catcher, pitcher. Those are the only players on the field that can challenge. Nobody manager can't challenge from the dugout. There's no, you know, calling up to the booth, you know, to get a video review. It's just got to be on what you saw with your own eyes. And I really like that. I think that would be a great compromise uh, with the strike zone. Definitely. So are you saying that instead of robo-umps, you would prefer they go to that first? I don't know. I would be fine with either one. I think players would would like the challenge system better. So for that reason, I think I would probably support that. But I certainly wouldn't be opposed to a straight-up electronic strike zone. I think either of those would be a massive improvement over human umpires calling balls and strikes. Yeah, you know, so I think that for me, what I always kind of am curious about is what are they implementing a strike zone before the game for a guy? Like, what if he changes his stance? What if he decides to set up lower? Mm-hmm. Like, how does the zone change then? Um, and maybe the technology can track that. Maybe the technology is good enough to where yeah. I imagine it probably is. But I guess my point is this. If it's 100% accurate, I don't see why we wouldn't go to it. But I do like the challenge system. I actually really do. And I think that won't slow down games if MLB is worried about it. Because if you're already implementing the pitch clock rule, that's not going to slow it down and then increase the game by 27 minutes. So... No. Yeah. No, I've seen the challenges. It's it literally takes five seconds. The batter, you know, taps his helmet or whatever, says challenge. The umpire pushes a button or something, or I don't know, motions to the scoreboard operator people. And they show the thing on the scoreboard. It gets overturned. And bam, right back to the action. There's really no delay at all. Um, it's just like, you know, if the batter had fouled the pitch off, it would be the same kind of time delay which is to say really none at all one other potential rule change we talked about the shift restriction earlier and how we had doubts about whether it would really um, increase batting average too much especially on ground balls there is one other proposed rule change to limit the shift and it's a bit extreme but it does solve the single up the middle quandary that we were talking about earlier and that is Well, it's called colloquially the pie slice rule. And basically what it is, is there's two extra chalk lines that go parallel to the normal foul lines, but coming out of the top of second base, basically. Creating a little pie slice right up the middle of the infield. And the rule would be that the second baseman and shortstop must play outside of that slice. And obviously you can see the implications of this immediately, that means there's a vacated hole right up the middle. So theoretically, there should be more hits, hits up the middle. And this has also been tested in the minors. I'm not sure if it was tested in affiliated ball, but I know it was tested in the independent league, um, the Atlantic League. And they totally observed more singles up the middle. Um, so as far as you know, results go, that would be great. I don't know if <laughs> fans will stand for a pie slice in the middle of the infield. That seems like uh, a little bit gimmicky, you know? 
Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah, I'm such a proponent of ensuring that the hit up the middle is a hit. However, to me, that is a little arcadist. That is a little gimmicky, like you say. I don't mind doing things to change the game, to make sure that the game stays fluid and with the times and making sure the fans enjoy it. And like you say, I hate it when there's a shot up the middle and it's an easy, you know, one hop for the shortstop. But not a fan of that one whatsoever. And I don't think I would ever get behind that one. I don't know. It just seems very gimmicky, like you say. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see. But the big thing here is this committee is not going away. It's not, you know, shop isn't closed. They're staying open, and they will stay open for the foreseeable future, at least until this CBA runs out in 2026. Um, And they will consider rule changes every year, and they will vote every year. And we will probably do an episode like this next year, hopefully, to talk about the institution of the automated ball strike system um, and probably some other rules as well. So I am all in favor of trying out new rules, especially if, you know, you're willing to try them out in the minor leagues first, as has been done, go kind of slowly, you know, and especially be willing to change the rules that you already implemented. Don't just implement a rule and say, well, we're going to stick with this and that's how it's going to be. Um, if these shift rules don't pan out well, the MLB should modify them next year. You know, there's, they've got to be willing to um, keep their ears to the ground and, and see what, see what the players want for sure. And see what the fans want and see how their rules are affecting the game. Yep. A hundred percent couldn't have said it better. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this Painting the Corners episode where we dove into the rule changes that MLB is implementing for the 2023 season and some other ones that we expect to maybe start getting tested out here or implemented in the next couple of years. Um, don't forget to check us out on our socials. Instagram is Painting the Corners Pod and our Twitter is at the PTC Pod. I thank you guys so much again and we'll talk to you soon. See ya.